Jesse Douglas Smith McGraw, and this is What Moves You with Jesse. I'm a transformative coach on a mission to share an understanding of how our minds work that challenges how we react to life and our thoughts. I love to share stories and common sense ideas that empower you to take charge of yourself in a way that brings immediate and profound change. What I know to be true is that we are all innately healthy and doing our best with the thinking we have available to us on a moment-to-moment basis. And waking up to this will change what moves you. I'm so happy you're here. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to What Moves You with Jesse. Have you ever met someone who, the second you meet them, you can't help but smile and your heart feels lighter? <laughs> well, today's guest is someone who does exactly that for everyone who gets the opportunity to cross her path. Straight from her, she is a broadcast and print journalist, writer, interviewer, and media consultant, as well as an editorial strategist. She is the consulting senior editor at Maria Shriver's Sunday Paper, the editorial director of both September Letters, a mental health advocacy platform, and The Conscious Investor, a digital magazine that uncovers the world of impact investing, which she helped its founder launch. As the former articles editor at Goop, she was instrumental in the launch of several new editorial verticals focused on women's empowerment and social impact. And on a personal note, Goop is where my guests so generously shared my work with the world in a way that invariably helped launch my business in a way I could have never expected. And for that and so much more, I am eternally grateful. In her 16-year career thus far, she has focused her efforts on workplace equity, topics around modern career life, civic engagement, financial health, and social impact. And what I think you'll really appreciate as deeply as I do is how precious my guest holds the stories that people share from their lives. As you'll feel from this interview, she reminds us all how important each and every one of our personal history books are, how every nuance is unique, and the reverence she holds for humanity in that way is deeply, deeply moving. I can't wait for you to hear how this powerhouse woman has navigated her wide-ranging career so you can glean not only from her experience on a practical level, but from how she sees the world. Without further ado, here is Stacy Lindsay. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Jesse. It's so good to be here. It's so wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much for saying yes. I know you're up to a million things in the world. My pleasure. It's it's truly, this is an honor. I value you and your work so much. So thank you. Oh, couldn't have said it better for you. We're just huge reflections <laughs> of each other. <laughs> So in the intro, I have shared with everybody a little bit um, about all of your wonderful things that you've been up to in the world. Um, 
but I wanted to express to you and share with everybody here who's listening that I, the reason why I've been pulled to, even though we've like you, you and I had kind of shared a little bit to each other about that we've known each other for years. And even though we haven't spent hours of one-on-one time, there's, there's definitely always been a deeper connection. That's just varied there without having to work at it. Yes. And, um, when I was thinking about who to have on for this season, and frankly, I had you on my mind for the, for last season, when I started, when I started, um, interviews, but the reason why you have come, you were in my ether that I wanted to have you, the reason why I wanted to have you on, um, is because not only have you been so instrumental in kind of helping me see the value in myself and what I had to offer the world before I even really knew it completely myself. Um, you know, I'll share a little bit with everybody that I had, you and I had met for dinner after a really long gap of time, yes. um, of not seeing each other. Cause you were working so much. And I think you were living in a different state before you had moved. I think <laughs> Probably. You had, yeah, I think you had just <laughs> moved back to Los Angeles not that long before we <laughs> for dinner. And, um, I was sharing with you the work I was doing. I had no idea what you were up to. I mean, I knew you were obviously doing, you know, work in, uh, journalism and, um, broadcasting. And that was kind of, you were in that, you were bridging that, that gap, but I had no idea where you were working. And I was just sharing very, um, passionately with you, how I felt like I had the, the keys to, um, the keys to freedom for a lot of people. And I was really excited about working with people. And you said right then and there at dinner, I would love to feature you where I'm working. And I said, well, where do you work? And you said, goop. And I went, excuse me, (laughs) as in Gwyneth Paltrow's goop. And you said, yes. And it was so, um, I just have such a deep appreciation for the fact that you saw and felt something in me and what I had to say and what I was doing to help others and that you wanted to share that with the world. And to piggyback off of that, since I have followed your work more in depth, you know, but the more that you have been doing and putting out into the world, there is definitely a through line to what you love to feature the stories that you love to tell. And there's to me, this golden thread of love and humanity that you are pulled into that, that, that the stories that are important to you. And I think, especially now these days, it feels like a breath of fresh air in the world of media and news and journalism and that's not surprising to me because that is just the nature of who you are. <laughs> oh, Jesse, thank but, you. <laughs> but it's so valuable. It's so valuable in my mind um, to shine a light on the light of the world, whether it's a story that is about somebody who is struggling or not, or you know, just all the different things that you have featured talking about human emotions, talking about feelings, talking about how do we navigate this life with everything that's going on inside of us. Um, so I think it's just, I just, that was, that's 
when I, when I reflect on why it's so important to me to have you on, um, that is why, because you are truly, um, you're bigger than a cog in the wheel of, Oh, wow. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, truly. Yes. So dear Stacy, Lindsay, (laughs) let's start from the beginning. Can you please share with everyone and kind of with me, because I don't really know if I know this, what inspired you to, to become a journalist, to be, I know you started in broadcasting when, as far as this side of, of your work and your purpose and career, but can you kind of, can you give us a a look into what, what was the spark that fired all of this up that, that started all of this for you? See, this is why you're you're the best because every time I'm with you, I discover something new about myself. And in the past few moments that you've been talking, which all of that I've been consuming like a sponge and honoring, and I'm keeping it tucked in my heart pocket forever. Thank you for saying everything that you said. Thank you. And again, I'm just I'm just thrilled to be sit always when I'm sitting across from you and looking at you and just imbibing your wisdom. I'm the luckiest woman in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, as you were talking, I thought of a story. I thought of something that I haven't thought about for a very, very long time. And it goes back to when I was in third grade. And I remember in third grade, I had a tough time as we all do right in grade school, for the most part, high school, junior high. It's like, how do we survive that? For me, I I had this bad bout in third grade specifically. Uh, I was bullied a lot. Um, At the time I got braces on really early really early. So I had braces on, I had really thick glasses on, I had to wear an eye patch. I kind of just had a couple of things aesthetically going on that weren't really helping the situation. <laughs> and I don't, I, it was a moment. So I, I, I was, again, I was being bullied and kind of teased a little bit about my glasses and being called kind of the classic four eyes and all of that. I remember there was this kid in my class, um, his name was Justin. And I remember one day it was in the afternoon and he just quietly came up to me. And again, we're in third grade. So it was very precocious and just so wise. But he said to me, he said, you know, Stacy, I wear glasses too. And it's, it's okay. I think they're really cool. Something along those lines. Clearly that stuck with me because how many decades later, and I'm still remembering that. And the reason why I thought about that is because it was a several second long moment of telling one story to make somebody else feel better. And it instantly made me feel better. That sharing. And I just thought about that and I wanted to share that. And I can't say that was not necessarily the catalyst of me wanting to be a journalist, but that stayed with me. When you are really honest and raw and real about the stuff you're going through, there's nothing better. I mean, I don't want anybody to be in pain, but that's a fact of life. Everybody's in pain. Everybody faces hardship. So when you can talk about that, that helps people. And then for me, if I can be some sort of a means to get that message to more people, that's the biggest honor of my life. So that genuine storytelling, that truth telling has always been because it's twofold. On one hand, I'm the, I feel the luckiest person in the world when somebody divulges something to me. They, they are trusting me, whatever the information may be. And then the other end, if I get to disseminate that with their permission, of course, that's, that's just it for me. I think that's what makes the world go round. So that's always been in my heart, on my mind. I did grow up though. I thought Diane Sawyer, I still do. She was it. 
um, but Christiana Mampour, Diane Sawyer, um, a little bit later, Lisa Ling, um, Maria Shriver, who I can't believe I say I collaborate with nowadays. It just still blows my mind. But these journalists, primarily these women, these female identifying journalists, I thought they were so brave. I loved what they did. And I think it's such an incredible noble service job. And so journalism was, was always it. And I started off, um, with that said, I've always, I was, I've always been a voracious reader. I've always been a voracious reader, particularly of nonfiction. And I love documentaries too. I love film, but I love documentaries. So there's that storyline through line, of course, and started off early, started off, um, you know, I was always kind of writing. I loved writing. I was always doing some interviews and whatnot in junior high, younger. And, and then in high school, I did the newspaper, the high school newspaper. And it was so funny. I just saw, found some of my quote unquote clips from my high school newspaper. I'm like, I wasn't that bad. <laughs> I like knew how to, the lead and all that. It was kind of crazy, but started off, I uh, got my first internship when I was in undergrad, um, started off at Boston university, ended up actually tra um, transferring to Emerson college in Boston, studying media. But my first internship was at WBZ CBS in Boston. And it was supposed to be for three months and ended up staying a full year. And I got to become really close in shadow Sharon Alfonsi, who for anyone listening who doesn't know Sharon Alfonsi, a quick Google, you'll see her. She's on 60 Minutes, 60 Minutes Sports. She's the absolute bomb.com. Does anybody say that again anymore too? I just said that, but that's what she is. Like unbelievable woman. So I got to shadow her. I got to shadow all these reporters and I was in it too. I was in the assignment desk and this is a, obviously Boston's a big market. So I kind of got that rush and that thrill of journalism and news and all of that. And um, my career, or I should say my, my education though, it progressed and it ended up, I pivoted a little bit and I ended up studying, actually getting my undergrad degree in media studies, concentrating on film. And my first job was uh, for Magnolia. First, I should say kind of career focused job was for Magnolia Pictures in New York. Such an incredible group of people uh, moved to New York, worked in their marketing publicity department, but was around a lot of documentaries and kind of incredible filmmakers and producers. I did that for a year and it was amazing. I mean, talk about opportunity that fell into my lap. I was and loving it too, loving living in New York, all of that. Still though, always had that yearning for journalism. And I remember seeing Sharon Alfonsi a couple of times when I was in New York as well and reconnecting with her. And she took me into the local off, uh, local um, affiliate there in New York. And I was, yeah, just wanting that. But um my when I was working at Magnolia, I did a, the press junket for this movie called The World's Fastest Indian that starred Anthony Hopkins. And so I got to connect with him for a week doing the press junket and kind of getting to know him and his publicist. And it was out of this world. It was amazing. And after that finished, I got a call from his publicist who said, do you want to come out to L.A.? Do you want it was incredible. Do you want to come work for 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 me? And that was in publicity. And <laughs> Wow. I mean, so honored. I said, no, I didn't want to be in publicity, but still, thank you so much. The next day he called back, or maybe it was a couple of days later, I don't know, but he said, I have a client, James Kahn, who's looking for sort of a, a right hand. And um, so, so James Kahn is in Sonny Corleone, Jimmy Kahn. What? <laughs> so basically, I mean, I could drag, it's so crazy how the whole thing unfolded, but that was the, what brought me out to LA. That's how I ultimately met you. We met in LA. Yeah. So I worked for Jimmy Kahn. Yeah, yeah, that was the era I met you in. And oh, I yeah. did not know was, that was the how yeah. you got here. That's so awesome. crazy time. I mean, 
So I worked with Jimmy for several years and it was, I was everything kind of associate producer to personal assistant. We were traveling the world um, on all these movie sets and TV sets with him. But I have to say, and he, he, I lucked out. I could have worked for any Hollywood movie star and it would have been a different story. The fact that I got Jimmy, who is a through and through Queens guy at heart, loyal to the core. So anti-Hollywood kind of, you know, just an incredible guy still to this day, one of my dearest friends. I consider him one of my top best friends and my family. Um, but the, a, a tough part of the story is my father during while I was working with Jimmy, um, passed rather unexpectedly um, to alcoholism. And I went back, I grew up in Massachusetts. I went back to Massachusetts and it was really that time sitting with him in the hospital when he was in a coma for that last week of his life that I couldn't get life, just life in general out of as one does when they're facing death like that. What are we doing here? What is this about? And, and I think, I think part of it is we all have these things to overcome, but I also think part of it is purpose. We hear that word a lot these days. It's a buzzword, but it's true. You know, what is our purpose? We each have one. And I really thought that my purpose was to go back to connect with people and tell stories and to, to follow my dream of journalism. So I, I went back to um, school after that. I, I finished. Um, Jimmy was amazing too, because I told Jimmy when I went back to LA, I want to go back to grad school. I want to go to school. I want to be a journalist. And he said, well, come in and move in with us. He and he was married at the time with his kids. And he said, save some money and amazing. So, yeah. So I went to grad school for journalism and then I actually started off in print um, and worked for a, this amazing health publication called Natural Solutions in the magazine world, did some you know stuff at the local newspaper and then moved back to LA and um, got my feet wet in digital journalism, um, working for a design magazine at the time called Remodelista. And I have to say, Jesse, though, it was funny. It was a, it was a, Plum gig. I had a great situation. I was getting work. I was, you know, hustling, still am hustling. I loved it, but there was something I wanted to do, what I felt was a real contribution and kind of get my butt kicked journalistically. And for me, that meant um, being a war correspondent. Um, and I didn't, I honestly didn't consider that. It's kind of a, a regret, but I think that is the hardest, most noble gig in journalism there is. Um, and I also think too, local, local journalism. I think that local reporters, local anchors, they kind of get, pardon my French, but crapped on a little bit because it is it is kind of cheesy. It is mainstream. It is sort of old school. But some of the best stories today actually were broke by regional and local publications. Um, so it doesn't get the credit that it deserves. So with all that said, um, that's when I, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try. And this had been obviously kind of years into my career at that point. And I put together a fake tape <laughs> and told them it was fake, but like made, made up a fake murder, made up a fake crash, I think, and just started sending my links out, my DVDs out to all these stations. And then I landed a gig in the Midwest and kind of that's how the TV journalism started. <laughs> Thanks for listening to all that. It's a long, long story. <laughs> that was the question. And I <laughs> yeah. love it. I love every second of it. So, um, so when you, so in all of, so it's interesting that it, is that kind of a natural, is that a natural um, unfolding for, for a journalist to consider broadcast or was that something that was just that appealed to you? Yeah, it's. That's a great question because I, I'm realizing now to where I am many years out, you know, into my career, um, I want to do it all. So 
I, it's interesting. I, every journalist is obviously wildly different. Um, I don't know too many journalists personally in my ecosystem, professional ecosystem that oscillate between print and TV. So it's usually you kind of pick one and you pick the other. I wanted to do it all. And I wanted to have these tools and kind of earn my chops and all the different facets of journalism. So I don't think it's very common and it, but I will say too, the way I did it, people, some of my friends were like, you're doing what? Cause I moved to Missouri and I was, my beat was Kansas. I mean, Southeast Kansas, but I had never even been to the Midwest, let alone, you know, moving there for a couple of years. But, um, I, it, the traditional route usually for broadcast is right out of undergrad, super young. You go to a tiny, tiny market, you make terrible money. I mean, the whole system's broken too. I could go into that because it's, you work so hard and you get paid nothing. And unfortunately, a lot of times you don't get treated well. I think it's changing. Um, and then you work, work, work. And if you don't burn out and you stay in it, the goal usually is to be an anchor in Chicago, anchor in San Francisco, anchor in New York. And that wasn't my trajectory. I was 31, which still super young, but in that regard, I mean, just different. I, again, I had this sort of all these years of career already behind me uh, when I started to go in and jump in. And I didn't have the intention of staying to then make it to be an anchor in New York. I wanted to do it, finish that contract for two years, earn all these tools and then pivot and kind of go to the next journalistic thing. So it was, it was kind of a wonky, yeah, sort of a constellation. Yeah. Yeah. Cause my, what I can pull from as far as experience outside of you is I have a dear friend back when I was dancing and I was a, a waitress, she was a hostess at the time and she was in school for it, for uh, broadcast journalism. And now, uh, you know how we all stay friends on Facebook or mm-hmm. some kind of social media thing. Um, it's been so fun to watch for her. She did that. What you just explained where right out of undergrad, yes. went to yep. a teeny tiny town in the middle of nowhere and has kind of done the middle of nowhere thing for eight months at a time. And I think just recently, oh, this is such a bummer. I can't say it right off the top of my head, but anyway, she just landed a bigger city and I know it's Oh, good. So she's still in it. She's still in it. Good. Like oh, I love hearing years. that. I yeah. love hearing that. That makes me yeah. so happy because it is, as I said, it's, it is a tough, tough, it's a tough life um, because it's so demanding and you don't really have, you can kind of, depending on the position you get, um, maybe you can do what's called day side. So you work the daytime shift and you have a little bit more of a night. You can be home during the evenings, but starting out, it is a really, cause you know, that the news is on at five o'clock, six o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. So you're working late nights and you're out there. And so it's so sad, but journalism is losing funding. It's losing respect. You know, things are changing. I still hold, I'm holding out that journalism is so important to democracy. Absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that she's still in it, though. That's awesome. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then my other reference point be it beyond you is uh, Garrett Kennedy, who I had on last uh, for the last season. Uh, and I interviewed him and he had uh, worked with uh, L.A. Times as a, as a <laughs> uh, music journalist and uh, and then kind of has has since left and has been writing books about like he just recently released a book called uh it was about it's about Whitney Houston didn't we almost have it all and that just came out and that's and oh, I can read that yeah you'll love it but the his kind of path was uh you know kind of similar little 
light bulbs going off inside of him around, you know, his grandfather would always have him read all of the, what was, what was new in the news as Mm. far as what was going on. But, but what always pulled him when I asked him kind of that reflective question of where did it start? The same kind of thing happened for him of, it was like when he was like eight years old and he could not get enough of what was happening in pop culture. Mm And that, so that really was the pull for him. So I absolutely love that for you, the, the, the memory that came to mind was that third grade moment, because as much as it, it's hard not to, to be like, I don't know if that was the beginning of it all in my mind, it was because everything is relevant, right? I think so. so. Yeah. So for him at his age, having this feeling of like everything, you know, needing to, it was feeding him to have all this pop stuff that he was, that he was loving Mm -hmm. about what was going on in, in music and culture and how, look at how that's literally all he's writing about these days. And for you, it's, it's the exact same thing. It's like, what, what immediately made you feel seen and understood. And the second we have that, then that's like, Oh, it immediately cools the temps in our, in our perspective of life of like, Oh, I'm not alone in this feeling. And so it makes so much sense that that's been the, the, uh, your engine. Right. And it also makes sense that then it doesn't fit in one or the other. It's both. Right. Right. Because that's your driving force, you know, is, is, is really my God, making people feel less alone in their feelings. I never thought about that, but that is truly what yeah. you Stacy. Oh, truly. thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. God, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the one th- element or I think mindset or viewpoint, whatever you want to call it, that has been really driving me, particularly the past several years is realizing that so much is constructed in a binary way and life isn't binary. So that can be equated to anything and everything, I think. Um, And I really think the world is shifting toward a more spiritual place. I think people seem to be evolving and and wanting and seeking more and leading into things with a sense of wonder. And I feel that. But that's what's been really driving me and just realizing, and it's taken me a long ass time too. I mean, I'm 40 and I just feel like the past few years, you know, and I've overcome some major personal things the past several months too, that I'm realizing it doesn't have to be this way or that way, or it's not one or the other. And that's where story coming, selling comes into fold too. It's nuanced and it's complex and maybe it's different every day too, whatever that might mean. But it's given me a lot of hope. And I love the conversations around sexual orientation and gender identity or gender lack of identity. Why do you have to even identify for that point? Why do you have to be, okay, let me put you in a box. What are you, Stacey? What are you, Jesse? Well, I'm a million things. You're a million things. Everybody listening to this is a million things times 20. And how we fuel that is through... Yeah. Again, just, I wear glasses too, Stacey, that third grade comment, or yeah, I feel that way as well. Or I kind of get confused over this too, or whatever it may be, or just sharing. Like it's, it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. What I'm feeling from you is that when we hear more from each other about our different experiences, you know, something that I'll share with clients is there's like, so often we will, we're the ones that are drawing this box this perimeter around our experience of life 
And then we try to live within the confines of that box. Right. And because it looks like it's kind of coming from outside in, like, you know, our culture that we live in or our family system that we live in the, you know, uh, the time that we live in our circumstances. So it looks like we're kind of being dumbed down more and more and more put into a box because of our circumstances. But when you wake up to the fact that you're the one that's innocently bought into those things and then Mm -hmm. drawn this line in the sand around our experience of life and you try to stay within it and we get this itchy feeling all the time of like, Mm -hmm. I don't think this is the, I don't think this is, this feels right. Or this is me or, you know, and then we get right up into all of those all of those belief systems and look out at life and go, no, yeah, I guess I have to be, this is the way it goes, you know? And so what I'm hearing from you is often, you know, what I, as I share that kind of that analogy, I'll say, you know, in the same way that you drew it, you can also pull out the eraser and erase it. So cool. That's what storytelling does for us. Right. Right. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. And it leads to, I am taking this. These are not my words. This is not my phrase, but I had the beautiful privilege of interviewing a person who I have admired for a very long time, Jeffrey Marsh, who I feel that you may be familiar with them. Um, Big social media presence, um, non-binary advocate. And Jeffrey told me, I was asking them about happiness and what happiness means to them. And Jeffrey told me it's radical self-acceptance. Wowsies. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And it's possible to be happy and sad at the same time. It's possible to be happy and frustrated at the same time. That's not one and done. Um, But when Jeffrey told me that, I thought, whoa, okay, that that really resonated with me. And how do we get to radical self-acceptance? We listen to each other and we help each other sort of shepherd each other along with our stories and bolstering. I want to bolster you, you bolster me. So we can get to that place of accepting the pieces of ourselves and ultimately accept all of ourselves. Um, And again, that goes back to, yeah, being vulnerable, storytelling, getting that out there, not holding it in Yeah, because it's too juicy and too good to hold it in too. Whether it's finding out about a great restaurant in your neighborhood, don't keep it to yourself. Tell, tell people about it. You know what I mean? There's not, or, or it means how you, maybe you're facing the world with an eating disorder and you want to talk about the things that help you. I mean, oh, it just feels so good to get that out. So yeah, story, storytelling. <laughs> Incredible. Um, so um, can you tell, tell a little bit about what your experience has been like being the storyteller, being the, the vehicle, being the conduit? You know, it, it feels kind of like a big general broad question, but so whatever bubbles up for you of what, what that, what that even means. So I'll ask you again, can you tell us a little bit more about what your experience has been like in being that conduit for these stories, for these experiences? Thank you for asking me that. It has been one of utter irrevocable honor. And I realized that when I was in broadcast, when I was in that station, working in Missouri, working in the four state region and traveling around, because it's interesting about the medium of television, which I love. I mean, it's, I love how different types of media kind of pull different 
um, I don't, you know, ideas from you or whatnot. It kind of takes a different tool set, all of that. But there's something about when I was on air, I did not, what didn't matter to me was the on air part. You could have had that. What mattered to me is I was in that position is I got to drive around and be invited into these people's homes, total strangers' homes, or, and they would tell me things. They would open up to me. They would trust me with that information. So the interviewing component of it is the greatest honor. And that is the ultimate thing that I love to do till the end of time. So, so many of these times when I would be interviewing these people and I, people, and I would have to get my, you know, obviously, and I was a, a one woman show too. So I had to get my camera, I had to get my audio, all of that. Then I would go back to the station, have to package it together. I didn't, I wasn't dying to get on TV. Yeah, it was fun, but that part could have been taken away. I mean, my purpose felt like I was really, you know, being able to connect with that person and to have that privilege of sitting in front of them and absorbing what they have to tell me. Unbelievable. And then though, a cool, the icing on the cake is I got to be a part of amplifying what they're saying, what I've learned and tell the greater, you know, masses, whoever's tuning in, that was even better. But there was opportunities, I mean, to, as I said, just meet with these incredible veterans. I remember one of my favorite stories is I met with this older gentleman who, um, he had major PTSD from serving in the war in um, Vietnam and he was handicapped, but he started this small business out of his house. And he was making these wooden toys from scratch, like whittling these beautiful wooden toys. And I don't even remember how I found out about them, but it was a slow news day, which means nobody, you know, nothing was bleeding or there was no robberies. So I remember asking my news director, I said, can I go tell this story? Can I, you know, do this sort of human interest piece? And Jesse, I'll never forget it. Just sitting in that man's garage. I want to see if I can find the story and just watching him work and him telling me these stories. I'm the luckiest woman in the world to be sitting here listening to this. This is unbelievable. And then on the other side of things too, I, I met with families who had lost their homes and from tornadoes and hearing about, um, I did a lot of stories on at that time when an um, Affordable Care Act was just sort of coming into existence and how it was working for people, how it was not working for people. and then opening up to me, but that's, that's, and then nowadays too, a, a big part of my weeks are interviews, interviews, interviews. Sometimes I hop on the phone with somebody for five minutes. Sometimes I have the honor of chatting with somebody over zoom for a full hour. And sometimes I still try and see people in person when I can. Um, that's everything to me. So that, that is the biggest, uh, that's the North star when I wake up and I get to talk to somebody and meet somebody and ask them questions and hopefully you know, get them to tell me something maybe that they haven't told anybody else. Ah. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty cool. And, and for everybody who can't see Stacy right now, she's glowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Stace, what, what has all, if this is, I don't know if this would be a, a specific story that, that you could, that you could say, or if there's, or if this is kind of more of a general question that, uh, uh, you know, about what your work has done for you, but what has, what has doing this work taught you about yourself? Wow. It has taught me to fully, fully, fully be in the moment. It has taught me to listen with generosity and without agenda. It's taught me to trust in the process. It's taught me, as I mentioned earlier, that things are not binary. And it's taught me that all people I feel are good. 
unfortunately, a lot of people do some really harmful stuff. And I'm not justifying that. But deep at the core, people are good. And it's these systems and these um, binary systems, I think, that kind of cause people to do things that in their heart of hearts, I don't think they really want to do. And it's also taught me to really look down at the ground and see that my feet are firmly planted on the ground. And I am really lucky to have that and to know that. And for anyone who is listening, who maybe isn't able to have both feet on their ground, I hope that they have the opportunity to feel grounded in some way to the earth, however that may be. Um, but that, that, that's something through all the chaos, through whether it's personal stuff I'm going through, professional stuff I'm going through, the actual frenetic, crazy, chaotic environment of working in the news or working in media in general with deadlines and things buzzing and people needing things and needing to meet deadlines. I've really learned to do two things. I've learned to stop and look down at my feet and realize, okay, I'm firmly on the ground. I'm where I'm supposed to be. And then I take a moment to look up too and just think, wow, <laughs> this is, this is wild that we're all here, you know, living, breathing on this earth. And we're just like whipping through this freaking crazy thing called space, you know, just take a beat. It's all okay. But it's that listening with generosity and just um, and really trying to engage with things with a sense of wonder. And I just learned that vocabulary, um, where I should say, I just started using that word wonder very recently um, with somebody who I deeply love. Uh, we were doing a, a workshop, a connection workshop together. And the workshop actually talked about leaning into things with a sense of wonder, not even curiosity that you need to know the answer, but just wonder to see how it unfolds. Uh, journalism has really, as I've becoming, I hope to be a better and better journalist every minute, every hour, every day, and a better interviewer too, realizing that I can't go into a story um, expecting, and sometimes you feel this pressure, but to get what I need right away and to leave, and it's going to kind of be wrapped up in a perfect bow and a perfect headline. A lot of times I go into a story and I leave or go into an interview um, with research and interviews and all that, and I leave and the story is totally different than what I thought. So leading into things with just wonder and, and also not holding on to things too tightly too. It's another big thing. Nothing, I hope this comes off in a positive way, it'll come off how I guess it will land, however it lands, but nothing is ours too. We have these beautiful moments. Um, we have connection and love and all of that. But at the end of the day, nothing is really ours. We're just, I, I feel we're just visitors in this space, in this time, in this place. And so I think looking at that with total reverence is pretty cool. And this line of work has definitely taught me that. That's beautiful. I just, this, this, uh, you would know if I'm saying it correctly, it's either a metaphor or an analogy. I always mix them up, <laughs> but it just came to me, um, probably cause I said it to a client this morning. It's why on the forefront of my mind, but, um, the idea that we are a wave in the ocean made of the ocean. Mm. And we usually aren't aware of that. Right. Right. It's, you know, we typically are thinking that we're a wave and we're not enough of a wave or big enough wave or a little enough wave or whatever it is. We're so obsessed with our wave, but we forget that we're made of the ocean that we're right. already a part of. Uh, Ooh, I just, yeah. you know, 
it's so, um, and to me, like what I'm hearing from you is, is there's a deeper level of trust that you've, that you probably find yourself just going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into as you move through your career and work with different people. Um, but like when you said that, you know, you can go in with the expectation of what you, uh, of what you're wanting to get out of the person for the story and then something else unfolds. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you have no, the more that you let go, I'm sure of, this is not saying that you shouldn't have an intention and a, and a hope and a point or, or a goal for, for your interviews and things. But when there's like that idea and then the letting go of the expectation of it, there's something so much deeper that's going to evolve from the moment, from the wisdom of the moment, from the deep listening that you are, that you have learned to become so excellent at, you know, it's like Stacy gets moved to the side and there's a deeper wisdom that's moving through your essence that, that is moving you. So you're a conduit to that whole experience for yourself and for the other person. And then therefore, you know, the implications of that are all the people that are going to read it and be touched by it or hear you say, you know, say it and be touched by it. Um, whoa. <laughs> Thank you for saying all that. That was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It yeah. just, I, you know, and I, and I, I, it doesn't surprise me, but that that is stuff that's occurring to you. That's important to you because that is the depth of your writing. Thank you. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm dotting around asking mm-hmm. these different questions just to hear where you're coming from and if you're even aware of your depth <laughs> so that's why you know that's why I'm like are you a, you know what if what has this taught you about yourself because you know Jesus Christ like you you Thank you're you. uh yeah you know um they're always so moving so it's just uh yeah really wonderful I don't really have much words I'm just kind of in a really wonderful feeling um, so I did have it written down. Do you have a feature that has stuck with you? And I know you just brought up the, the gentleman that, that made all of the little wooden objects, but is there anything, is there anybody else or anything else that you've worked on that has stuck with you over time? Oh, yes. I loved, so when I was on TV, I did a series on disappearing small town America that I loved is still one of my favorite experiences, I should say, journalistically. And the catalyst for, for that was, as I had mentioned previously, uh, my beat in journalism, you get assigned kind of a general topic or an area or whatnot. And my beat was Southeast Kansas. <laughs> okay, you know, go drive 30 million hours to the story, get everything you need to do, get back, you know, put some makeup on and go on air. I mean, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> um, but when I would be driving out into these, across these swaths of American prairie countryside, it was incredible. I would to my destination. And a lot of times it was an hour and a half, two hours away. I would be driving through, and some of them were in Oklahoma too, in Arkansas, I'd be driving to these towns, Jesse, that were at once thriving with life and bustling, these old, a lot of them coal mining towns, and they were desiccated, these incredibly beautiful old um, brick buildings or the skeleton of them, and the population just completely plummeted. And there was, in some of these cases, 25 people living in the town and just the post office and just a drugstore, you know, and that's a lot of the, the, the middle of the country. 
And I thought, what's happening? And people were obviously going to the cities, were absorbing them. And it's just so interesting to see how people change and migrate and how populations swell and then how they decrease in other areas. And I thought, I want to know more about this. I want to know about the people who hung on. I want to know about people who stayed. I want to know why the people left. So I did this series on disappearing small town America. And I really enjoyed that. And I just got to talk to these people who have been in these small Kansas towns for their whole lives and how they've seen the population swell and the ebbs and flows of, of the life there. That really, really stuck with me. Um, wow. And yes, I, I mean, it's I've done, I've just been able to interview just... I mean, every single person, every single person I'd be able to interview is a great mind, is a great soul, is incredible. I did do a really fun story. I think you're familiar with the story. A couple of years ago, I went to Spain with um, this incredible sustainable shoe company. They're based here in Sausalito. I say here, I'm in San Francisco. And those women have become dear friends. But that was really, that was awesome. It was just this adventure. I went over to Spain to actually see how their shoes were crafted. And I got to just be totally submerged in the culture. And the story, again, talk about going in with attention. Because the intention was, I'm going to do a quick style piece to see how these amazing cult-followed shoes, they're called Frida Salvador, are made. And if they really are walking the talk in terms of making them sustainably and by hand. I ended up leaving writing a story about paella, you know, paella and <laughs> the incredible beauty of Valencia, Spain and love and full bellies and camaraderie. And it, that was a whole, that was a transformative experience for sure. So, yeah. and, and then I, another piece I did um, that was very cathartic for me was I did a story, wrote a story, I think it was last year about Again, taking that approach of breaking that binary idea um, about not having children. And I took the assignment thinking, yes, I would, I felt safe. I love the platform. It's called Natural Habitat. I trusted the editor so much. I thought I'd love to do a personal essay on this, never expecting the sort of groundswell of support that I got once or response, I should say, once the piece came out from people of all sexual orientations and all gender identities to, and essentially I wrote the piece about to have or to not have children in motherhood is not a this or that decision. It's not, I don't want children or yes, I do want children. I have taken the route in life to not have children, but it's something that I think about and sometimes struggle with all the time because it doesn't mean that I don't want, I chose it for various reasons, but I'm still maternal and still want to be a mom and, and all of that. And so that was an interesting exploration for sure. Um, and I felt like I got really real because I don't usually position myself in my pieces very often, but I did in that one. And it was neat, the response. How, and I, I had some incredible one gentleman that I went to high school with. I haven't talked to him and I don't even know how many years wrote to me saying how his decision to not have kids and he, that resonated with him. So yeah, wow. those are three. Those are three highlights. Stand out. Yeah. Do you feel that after every conversation that you get reflective or introspective, even just about yourself and 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 where you are with things, and and like you take little pieces that you're kind of learning, or sure. even do you find that? Oh, absolutely. I sh yeah, absolutely. And I think you do too, <laughs> right? Because you're so. I mean, I you know I know you. you just, <laughs> 
you're, you bounce light from you and you pull light from people and you have that way. So, uh, not to flip that on you, sorry, but no. <laughs> um, I, it's just why I love having conversations with you because we're both like leaning in, leaning in by the end of our conversations are, I feel like our foreheads, foreheads are, are touching. touching like, what about that? <laughs> but yes, absolutely. And it's always things I never even expected too. Um, I remember interviewing, this is a funny story, but Kristen Powers is a journalist I've admired for a very, very long time. And she's been on air and she's written several books. And she had a book uh, come out, I think it was at the end, it was fall of 2021. So I got a chance to kind of sit with her. And I was, and, and the cool thing I will say is every single interview, I still get nervous. And I hope that never goes away. No matter who I'm interviewing, I could be interviewing Biden tomorrow, which would be cool. That's not on my agenda yet, but I'm not on my schedule yet. <laughs> but, or I could be interviewing the local. It doesn't even matter. You know, somebody about the, anything. Um, I still get nervous and I hope that doesn't go away. But I was interviewed, you know, I was, it was nervous and I was making sure everything was fine. And as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I have a new puppy and it's been, life has been an interesting adjustment with Andy um, in the best way, but also in the most challenging way sometimes. And I went into that interview thinking I'm going to ask her, you know, some structured questions, obviously about the book and want to, you know, we're going to do that and then leave. And then right in the middle of it, my puppy has, I'll just say, so don't gross everyone out, the worst stomach issues. That, <laughs> the worst thing that could happen happened. <laughs> and I'm in this interview and it's over Zoom, you know, we're using the video for it. And I just said, Kristen, I'm so sorry. I have, to, I'm, she could not have been cooler. She could not have been more inclusive and warm about it. And she was, I've had puppies. I've been there, you know? And so I left that just knowing even more how gracious people are and how people who can be so professional and pulled together in this kind of stunning journalist who's on air and all this, how she's just trying to get by too, you know, and she divulged some of the stuff that I didn't include in the piece, but some of the stuff that she struggles with or whatnot with her kids or her dogs or whatever. So yeah, there's always something I never learned, you know, expected to learn some of that stuff going into that interview with her, but yeah, every time. <laughs> I love it so much. It kind of reminds me of the beginning of COVID when we were seeing newscasts being done from home. Oh <laughs> <laughs> and you, and see, you know, and you would cat's tail in one live shot are the, always the best. <laughs> I don't want that to go away. Yeah, I know. Me either. Or seeing, know. Just, you know, the things that they love, the books yeah. they love. Like, yes. you, know, you can tell, like, <laughs> you know, I remember, I, know. I can't remember if it was Van Jones or I can't remember who it was that I was watching. And it was a very studious background, but there was a teeny tiny Star Wars little, <laughs> like, yeah. And it wasn't on a kid level. It was like up high where they had clearly put it there. Like right. my special thing. Yeah. I love that. It tickled me so yeah. much. <laughs> that is so great. Oh, so wonderful. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So I have a question for you. Ooh, no, this, I wanted to ask you first. <laughs> Can you share with people why you don't want to lose your, your nerve, your nerves, your nervousness? Oh, Cause yes, my biggest fear, the number one thing in life that scares me the most is complacency mm -hmm. scares the freaking bejesus out of me. I grew up around it. 
I see it all the time. And I'm not saying with, with judgment, but it's almost like as ubiquitous as the as air. I don't want that. I don't want that in my personal life. I don't want that with my friendships, my relationships, my uh, approach to things. And I don't want that in my professional life either. And I think there's a beauty of feeling kind of being in your flow and feeling like you got things. And I don't think that people should be nervous going to work every day. That's a different kind of nerves. Just, just how I feel like there's sort of different types of fear. Some is really healthy and good. And some is that's it. But fear is, you know, information too. Um, anyway, not to digress about that, but so, but yes, I don't ever want to lure, lose that because I don't want to get complacent. I don't want to ever phone anything in. I don't want to think, oh, I'm going to do this interview real quick. Okay. And then I'll grab a sandwich with you. I want to be fully there. Every human being is an incredibly dynamic, unique combination of cells and ideas and wisdom and history. And I'm again, so honored that they're going to give me 30 seconds of their time or 30 hours of their time, whatever it is. Um, and that's why I get nervous. And I think the day that I stop being nervous is the day it's time to pivot and do something else or to reevaluate things. That's interesting. Yeah. I love that. The thing that first occurred to me was, I don't think it, it's possible for you to get to a place of complacency. It is truly <laughs> it, like, you know what I mean? Just consider that, you know, like you said, you saw it growing up and everything. I understand that like wanting to run away from a possibility, but it is in your nature to be, oh, I don't know what the, what the really beautiful, elegant word would be to use here, but you know, it's it, the drive is in your nature. Thank you. But I also think what's a huge takeaway for everybody listening is that you, like you said, that when you feel a sense of, of that kind of not, uh, the, that nervous, excited kind of energy, not being in you anymore, that that's your, that's your, your body being a really great friend to you inviting you into, Hey, I don't know if this is, you know, I think this might've lost its aliveness a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, let's see what, you know, getting back into wonder, you know, I wonder what, what could bring that back into my right. life, right. You know, letting your mind wander and kind of getting into, into exploring new avenues. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you before we get to my final question, I did want to ask you what for you, what it feels like in your body. So this is absolutely a perfect bridge. What it feels like in your body when you know it's time to move on from something. Cause I know you have left some yes that maybe, you know, somebody looking from the outside in would go, why wouldn't you ride that thing till the wheels mm -hmm. fell off? So, you know, that specific job or that company or that, you know, you've done such a great job of really staying true to yourself of like when something is starting to shift inside of you and that you pivot to use your word. So what, um, what does that feel like in your body when, when you know that it's time to kind of consider something? Yeah, it's yeah. a, that's a doozy because again, uh, well, wisdom is an amazing thing when we start to gain the vocabulary for certain things. And I think, unfortunately, um, youth is amazing, but one thing that we don't have in our youth however we define that for however many decades or whatnot is a lot of times this, this kind of personal lexicon, I think, to either, even if it's an internal conversation or with others to realize, okay, something's not right, or something seems wrong or off, or I think I need to do this. And as we keep going, we kind of realize, we learn that. And that body, that somatic language has been huge. I'm, I'm, I really appreciate you asking me that question. And what does it feel like? It feels full, 
of course, this is my lived experience and I can only speak to that, but it feels, I really, I'm a highly sensitive person. I've realized that too. So I'm in, I'm an HSP and it is a real thing, you know, and I'm realizing that, wow. Um, so why I'm bringing that up is a lot of times I feel deeply tired um, and not a fun, I've earned my sleep. Let's have a cup of tea and get cozy kind of tired, but a, a depleted sort of nervous about my health tired. That's a big big, big, big thing for me that I need to pay attention to. And as a highly sensitive person, um, I pick up on things. I pick up on people's energy a lot. I carry things um, inadvertently, involuntarily a lot. Even I live in a big city now. I've lived in big cities my whole life. Sounds, frenetic energy really depletes me. Um, but also to, to answer your question, when I'm in a, a role, whether it's even if it's a relationship or uh, collaboration, but in work particularly, and it's not right anymore. I am not gleaning the lessons anymore. Um, and very well, the other side, the other party, um, maybe they're not, I'm not contributing to them as much anymore. I don't, I start to feel unwell, physically unwell. And I talk about it because my time at Goop, I talk about it very openly. I love Gwyneth to the end of time. I think she is the most incredible. I love the women and some of, there was a, some men I worked with there too, but the women I worked with, so grateful for those years there. And that last year I spent there though, um, I just started to not feel good when I was going to work. And I felt great around people and I had nothing but the utmost respect for, for all of them, but I just, I wasn't feeling good. I was feeling really run down. There would be, we would have these all hands staff stand up meetings. And sometimes I would actually have to leave and you're really supposed to be present just to kind of get a breath and get my center. And that was me. That was time. It was time to go. And so, and I felt that way in my personal life too. I just left a relationship many months ago and wasn't feeling good in that sense. And so it's a really deep in my bones, tired, fatigue. Uh, things don't feel good. Things don't really look good too. I kind of notice it in my skin. It's it's pretty gnarly and really cool too. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's why I just, I love hearing that from you because um, uh, uh, so many folks, when you hit that spot of something starting to lose its aliveness and you start to get those signals from your body, like you said, what you're saying is that it's an invitation to start to explore but what so many folks tend to do is they start to go, what's wrong with me that I can't, yes. that I'm not feeling yes. okay within this because right. out here, this looks like this should be fine and perfect. And I expected this to ride this thing yep. till the wheels fell off. And that's just not, it's just yep. not life, you know, yes. and it, that's a really old standard way of living of like, you do one thing till the end of time. Yep. And so it's really wonderful. And, and, you know, and it's like any of those conversations around how, in years past, people used to die much younger and everything. And mm -hmm. to me, it's, I mean, yes, of course, medicine has evolved and all those wonderful, fantastic things with science, but also, you know, an education about what, what keeps us thriving with what we put into our bodies and on our bodies. But also I think there was so much of people getting those signals and white knuckling their way through life. And yes. that creates so much stress in your body that it breaks us down. I can't agree with you more. And I know that that's why your work is one of the many reasons why your work is so critical to help people to kind of break them out of that, to realize that. So true. I remember just several things. I remember being in school and even school was tough for me because you're in a box. Talk about a box. 
in school and you have to get there, which is way too early for a kid growing up, way too early. You know, have to, what school started at 7.10, I think in the morning for me. And they're, you're there till three in the afternoon. The lights, I remember, are horrific. Those like neon blue lights. The walls are painted this gnarly mental institution, blue or green or whatever. And it's, and it felt like, part of my thing, it felt like crap all day. It felt like total ass, you know? Yeah. Because, like now you get it. Why? Now you get it. I mean, it was a, yeah. such a structure, but but and and I'm not saying everybody did. Maybe some people felt fine and they were, but for me, it just wasn't working. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was something I wanted to make sure I had the that I that I wanted to ask you because you've done such a beautiful job. Um, and I don't know if it's felt clunky on the inside, which is totally fine if it did, because that's the human experience. <laughs> but from the outside looking in, watching you, you've done such a good job of navigating these different terrains and really yeah. following a flow that looks to me like you're honoring what is feeling right in the moment. So you can really show up and be your best self for that, for who you're with at that time. And so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, what's the, what the takeaway is that I hope for everyone listening is, it's so important to know that not only is that benefiting you, but it's benefiting everybody around you also, like you said, you know, as Elizabeth Gilbert says, liberation is not, is not usually a one-way door. Right. So, <laughs> you beautiful. know, yeah, when, so true. Know, it's, it's truly it's typically beneficial for both parties. You right. Know? Yeah. yeah. So to keep honoring that aliveness inside of you, you know, the second yes. you stop feeling, I mean, I even felt nervous coming on with you and I love talking to you all the time. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but yes, yeah, that same thing. I, I, so I totally relate. Okay. Final question. Stacy <laughs> Lindsay, <laughs> what moves you? Smiles. I mean, your smile is moving me a hundred miles a minute right now. Smiles move me. Uh, eye contact moves me big time. Living downtown LA, um, where I was living for a while before I moved to San Francisco, and in my neighborhood uh, used to be Skid Row adjacent, but nowadays I feel just over the past few years it's it's actual Skid Row, which has swelled so much, and unfortunately, so many people living um, in a houseless state. And I came across a lot of people that. Uh, whether on the metro or on the street walking around, um, that I just got the sense that no one made eye contact with them often. You know, when you walk by sometimes somebody and they're not really well dressed, they're not put together. If you can tell there's somebody in transition, likely maybe somebody who doesn't have a house at the moment. Um, I think it's, and I don't want to speak for the collective human, every human, uh, but I do think that, and this is for myself though, it's been sort of my, my default maybe to just look down, keep walking, look away. I also think it's a woman walking alone sort of reflex as well. So I'm going to take that into consideration, but I really tried to make an effort when I lived down there to make eye contact with people, um, no matter who, you know, if, within a certain proximity, <laughs> I wasn't running around going hello to everyone, which is probably something I would do anyways. Um, and I don't know, I, I think that eye contact is one of the most, if not the most intimate thing we can do, even if it's just for a few seconds, I see you, you're a human being, I'm a human being, we're locking eyes and we're moving on with our life. And you're no better than me and I'm no better than you. We're all doing our best. Uh, eye contact moves me. That's beautiful. Yeah. And smiles. And um, 
just genuine, you know, kindness. <laughs> it's a pretty sexy thing when somebody's kind. Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. Just soul to soul connection is what it sounds yeah. like is, is kind of what you're saying. You said it, sister. <laughs> That's it. <Yeah>. <laughs> Stacy, <laughs> thank you so much. For people who would like to follow your work and what you do, I know you have a website. Do you want to share that? And I'm also going to put yes. it in show notes so people can click on it. But can you share that? Oh, I'd with be so them? honored. Yeah, my website, it's Stacy Ann Lindsay, um, S T A C E Y A N N L I N D S A Y. <laughs> com um, on Instagram at Stacy Lindsay and yes I mean and I'm I'm great uh, I love great I don't know why I just said great but I love getting emails and messages and all that usually I take a beat sometimes I'm not super quick on it but it brings me joy so just love hearing from people and yeah if anybody wants to check it out I'd be honored and Awesome. Because yeah. both of those are really great ways to see all the different, because you are always writing, like you said, yeah. for Maria Shriver's Sunday paper for uh, September letters, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. a new there's, project. Yeah. And there's different things that you're kind of always writing for yes. and, and, and upcoming different um yeah, broadcasting opportunities coming up. So I'm sure you'll be talking about those things through Instagram and your website. Yes, I will. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Stacy. You are an absolute gift to this world, and it has been an honor and a gift to be able to share you with my listeners. And I cannot wait to see where life just continues to take you because, my God, you just light that shit up so good, sister. <laughs> thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being in my life. Thank you for being in everyone who's listening, their lives. You're, you're a gem. I value you so much. So thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Love Bye. you. Thank you. I love you tons. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to What Moves You with Jesse. Let's stay connected. You can find more ideas and strategies on being human on my Instagram at What Moves You with Jesse. Sign up for my newsletter or learn more about working with me at What Moves You with And please rate and review the show. And let us know what you think and what resonated. I read every single review. They mean so much to me. You can also call in on our hotline with your thoughts on what resonated there too. It is always live at 818-646-JESS. That's 818-646-JESS. What Moves You with Jesse is produced by Mike McGraw and Tinker City Music. Now, let's take a deep breath and give ourselves permission to live in this moment for what truly moves you.